the lesson we had in Sunday school this morning as they were sing singing about this place of rest and how God does give us a place of rest and how we need that from time to time, thinking about the 23rd Psalm, how he leads us by those still waters, and I'm grateful for the watch care of the shepherd and how he loves us. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll be finding that in your Bible today. 1 Timothy chapter 3, just a bit of introduction while you're finding that. You know, Paul wrote this epistle to Timothy, his son in the faith, but Timothy was also a pastor. First and Second Timothy often referred to along with Titus as the pastoral epistles. And in this uh, great epistle, you know, we have God's instructions really in, on some things about the way the church is to function. If you're looking in 1 Timothy chapter 3, for instance, just look with me in verse 14. It says, These things uh, write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, notice this language, that thou shouldest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Talking about the church, the house of God. When he's talking about how we ought to behave, it just means how the church ought to function, how we ought to... Uh, operate as a church so it's a great epistle and so uh, we're going to look into this some more today we're going to begin in verse 1 of uh, 1st Timothy 3 if you're able to stand let's stand together and we'll read a verse and then we'll pray together one thing we find in this uh, enlightening epistle about uh, the church and how the church functions is some specific instructions for pastors and deacons last Sunday evening we dealt with the pastor's titles, different titles about the pastor, responsibilities of the pastor. We're going to look at another aspect of that both this morning and this evening. So let's just read verse 1 before we pray. And Paul writes, This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now we're going to stop right there for this morning. And we'll look at some other passages, obviously, but just look at it again. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, the office being the position, the responsibility, um, it's not like having a pastor's office that you can go visit a pastor. This is a, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So let's pray as we get started. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the blessing of being here. Thank you for the privilege of having the Word of God to read and study and to learn from. We pray that you'd bless today. Lord, as we study, help us to be alert, attentive. Help me as I, Lord, seek to deliver uh, what I believe you've given me for this hour. And help us all to be open and receptive and be fed by the good food, the Word of God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been maybe seated and uh, just a reminder, maybe, or a bit of information as we get into this. For the last couple of weeks, uh, in the messages, we've been emphasizing servant leadership. Last Sunday morning, we looked at that subject of servant leadership. This past Wednesday evening, um, and if you weren't here, weren't able to listen to that, you could get that online. But we talked about the responsibility as believers, and in churches particularly, though, to teach young people to be servants that they would be, have a good work ethic, but not just to work for themselves, but to serve other people, to help other people. That's a part of what we should be doing 
as Christians. And so we're just emphasizing this matter of servant leadership. And uh, as a pastor, I have a number of reasons, really several reasons for this emphasis. One, I just really believe strongly that the Bible teaches that, as we heard this in Sunday school this morning, that every believer is called to be a servant of God. And we don't all have the same responsibility, but all of us to serve the Lord. And in serving the Lord, we serve others. We're also studying about, as I said, the responsibilities of pastors and deacons, what the Bible says about that. And one of the things that our church is going to be doing uh, in the days ahead is, uh, is selecting uh, some men to serve as deacons in our church. So it's, it's really appropriate that we would get to that in this series. And um, also, the reality is, one of these, this church has not had a new pastor in 40 years. And um, you may think that I'm going to be here for 40 more years, but I don't really anticipate that. Um, by the way, I don't think most of you, many of you will be here in 40 more years. Don't be offended by that. But one of these days, the church is going to have that responsibility. And I think it's good to know what the Bible says about the office of a pastor. What does the Bible say a pastor is to be? And so these are all important doctrines and important decisions. So let's, let's just look at this verse here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And he says, if a man desire the office of a bishop. And I wanna, I'm going to talk a little bit today about this word desire and what it means. I say this a lot of times, but it always comes to my mind when I read this passage. If a man desire the office of a bishop or pastor, and my first thought is they need to have their head examined, really. But, but what is if a man has that desire, if it's in his heart, and uh, so last Sunday we talked about the three uh, terms in the New Testament that refer to the office of the pastor. And one of them is bishop. We see it here in verse 1. It's like an overseer. And we looked at that in depth Sunday night about the bishop, the elder, and the shepherd, which is the pastor under the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, as the chief shepherd. And the pastor tries to, his job to feed the flock of God. It's taught in Acts chapter 20, and Peter wrote about it, feed the flock of God. The pastor is to feed the word of God to people. And not only to feed the flock, though, but also to lead the flock, to be a, a shepherd, to guide the flock and help them in making spiritual decisions, and, but also to protect the flock. That's what a shepherd does. He watches over the flock. He's concerned about their spiritual well-being. And so, so we talked about that Sunday evening. But here we see... Uh, Timothy writing about really the call of a man to pastor. And uh, I want to just to think uh, for a few minutes about this matter of desire. When it says here, if a man desire the office of a bishop, when we think of desire in our, in our generation, we often just think about what we want. Something we desire is what we want. Matter of fact, a, a modern dictionary defines desire as a wish to possess some gratification or source of happiness. This is what I want. But in this text, the word desire has a greater, deeper meaning than that. It means to, to really have a heart, to reach after something, to search, to stretch oneself. They really, something they really believe they're supposed to be, to set your heart upon it. And that's what it means. So when it says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, it doesn't mean just because a person thinks he'd like to be a pastor, that means he would be a good pastor. It's nothing more than that. It's something that God has put in their heart. It's more than a passing interest, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. It's a passion, really, 
for the work of God that I believe God works and puts in a person's heart. Many people that I've known over the years have considered or thought that they would like to be in the gospel preaching ministry only discover at some point in time that it really wasn't God's will. And if it's not God's will, you certainly don't want to be involved in that. So this word desire is a key word in verse 1. If a man desire the office of a bishop. Now I want to get away from that and come back to it later. But another thing I want to emphasize in this verse is this. Where it says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And... Um, the word there that's translated as work, and I re reference it because we think work could mean a lot of things for us, but the word there is ergon, E-R-G-O-N in the Greek. We think of ergonomics or we think of energy. It's like that word. The word, the word work has to do with labor and toil. And the, the writer here t knew much about the work of the ministry, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy who is a pastor. He's labored in the the great city of Ephesus with among in the church there. And uh, he's, saying, he's saying to Timothy, he's not saying this just for Timothy's sake, he's saying it for the sake of any church and other churches in the future. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And it's a good work. It's a good work because it's God's work. It makes it a good work. It's a good work because it's a beneficial work. It's a necessary work. I think I said this last Sunday evening that I am extremely indebted to pastors that I've had in my life who helped me spiritually by their example, by their teaching and preaching, God using them to feed my soul, and I'm thankful for that. It's a good work, but it's also a work because it's demanding. It's a work because it's physically and spiritually and emotionally demanding. Uh, this really kind of ties into the Sunday school lesson or Bible study we had this morning about Elijah who found himself in a very discouraged state, a man of God, a man that God gave his word to, a man that prophesied to the powerful king of Israel, Ahab at that time, and yet found himself depleted of energy and focus. And so it's a work because it's demanding. Um, I read to get current information on this, and I'm saying this for the benefit of our church family and others that are here, about really how challenging ministry can be. And this is not, a, this is not just a COVID-related statistic. These have been consistent for a number of years. But about 1,500 preachers leave the ministry every month. And that's not an exaggeration. That's a reality. It's provable. That's 50 people a day that get out of the gospel ministry. That's a lot of people. And you might wonder why would they do that? I mean, and, and it's not just them. Their own families struggle. One survey found that 80% of pastors' wives wish their husbands could leave the ministry because of the, the, the experiences they're having or the emotional weight of it. And I said earlier, a lot of times people think about getting in the pastoral ministry and believe this could be God's will. And I, in this particular study that was three different groups put this survey together, that only one out of two pastors will stay in the ministry for five years. And there's a number of reasons for that. Probably some of them shouldn't have ever been in the pastor. They, just were, they were misguided or whatever. But here's another interesting statistic. Just talking about the work that's involved in the pastorate, nine of ten pastors 
will, will not stay in the ministry until retirement age. Only one out of ten pastors will actually stay with it until they retire. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But the most common reason, according to these studies, that pastors leave the ministry is discouragement, like we heard this morning in the Sunday school lesson. Discouraged by the lack of support among the congregation. Discouraged people don't seem to really want to serve the Lord or whatever. And, you know, I was talking to a fella uh, this week. I think it was this week, a, a person that was a businessman, a salesperson that came by, and we were just talking. And um, the subject of tenure of a pastor came up and uh, about how long I had been here. And I just said that, you know, they don't give me enough money to leave. I'm just stuck here. So, no, we were talking about just tenure and serving and how unusual that is. And just for in case you're ever wondering, the average stay of a pastor in a church is four years, which is not really good for the church and it's not really good for the pastor. You don't really get to know each other. It's a, so what I'm just saying, I don't say these things to be negative about churches or people or to be critical of, of either one, but I just want people to understand what it means to be a pastor. It's a work it, and, it's in, and it's taxing and, and, uh, and I say it for another reason. We have several men in our church. And we'll have more men in our church who one day probably will be pastoring a church. And I think as a church, we ought to where pastor is supposed to be. We ought to have, as a, as a man training in the ministry, they want to get a good sense of what the ministry is about. It's not just about preparing sermons. There's more to it than that. And so I, th I thank God when God puts his hand on someone and says, this, uh, this is what I want you to do with your life. I want you to preach the gospel. It's a work. And I know there's some jobs that I've not had. There are many people, you have jobs that, that I've not, occupations I've not had. But I've been self-employed, you know, before I got into the ministry. That's what I was doing as a house painter. I've provided for my family two times, two different times in my life. One in Texas and one in Missouri by cutting firewood and selling firewood. That's one of my favorite jobs ever. I love being in the woods with a, with a thermos of coffee and a fire going and cutting firewood. I'm telling you, it doesn't get much better than that. I've, I've had a lot of different, several different truck driving jobs, but no occupation have I ever had that even begins to be as demanding as pastoring a church. And I say that so that you can understand that. I'm not asking for you to be impressed or sympathetic. I'm just telling you the reality. Paul said it is a good work. When Paul wrote once about the challenges he had faced, my wife and I were just reading this recently, how that he'd been shipwrecked three times, a night and a day in the deep, out in the sea for a day and a night together, how he'd been whipped and all these different things. And he talks about all that he'd been through. And then he said this, and in addition to that, the care of the churches, like the care of the churches, the responsibility of that. So I just... Because Paul wrote this, that it is a good work. I tell you, it is a good work. And, it, and, the, and the church needs to understand that, and men involved in it need to understand that. Now I want to take a moment and just talk about Timothy. Timothy here is a, a, a classic example of what can happen in a young person's life who's taught and trained, and, and now here he is, a... a co-labor with the Apostle Paul. So we're just going to take a bit of an aside and look at this quickly and then come back to our text. 
But mark your place there, if you would, in 1 Timothy. And we're going to look at a couple of other places. But go to the right a little bit, to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And we have this introduction, this great part of the biography, the life story of Timothy, which is so relevant to what we're talking about today. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul writes in his second epistle to him, he says, when I call, 2 Timothy 1, 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned, that is sincere without hypocrisy, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, talking about Timothy. Paul says, I, I remember, I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois. I like that because my grandmother's name was Lois on my dad's side. Her, in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother, we would say Eunice, it's really Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So Paul not only commends Timothy for his faith, but also he ties that to his mother and his grandmother and their faith. Now just flip the page to the right maybe to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 14, Paul continuing to write to Timothy. And let's just read the 15th verse. He says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You know, here's, here's a man, Timothy, who he was mentioned more than many people in the Bible who has a great ministry of accompanying Paul. Paul sent him on, on trips to deal with people. He left him in Ephesus to pastor. But you know where it all started for Timothy? It didn't start with Paul. It started with a mother and a grandmother who was teaching him the word. From a child, you've learned the Holy Scriptures. And I say that because, you know, his parents... You know, how do we know what God has for our children? I assure you that when, when Timothy was a baby, his mother and grandmother probably had no idea that one day the two books of the New Testament would be written to this little boy that they're raising and teaching the Word of God. And I think it's a very important thing to think about today. Some of you have heard me say this before, but my, I mentioned my grandmother, Lois. Her, her, grand, her mother's name was Lula. Lula Hayes. And we, I just called her Granny. Granny Hayes. And I remember her well. And, and, uh, but Granny Hayes, Lulu, Lula Hayes, told people when I was just a little boy, that one of these days I would be a preacher. Isn't that an amazing thing? And, and I, I, when I, I was thinking about that this morning because I was thinking about how if we're not careful as parents, we raise our children without even thinking about what their future might be. They're not just our little boy and girl. They're a heritage of the Lord. And we don't know what God has for them. And Timothy's mother and grandmother could not have known what his future held. But you know what he got before he was ever, before he ever met Paul? Before he ever was a preacher? He had a mom and a grandmother who's teaching him the scriptures. We're not making this up, moms and dads. This is the Bible. 
You say, well, I don't think my son will ever be a preacher. How do you know? And you know what? If we're not giving them the start that they deserve and they need, might might we be actually hindering them one day from the opportunities that God would have for them? And so I, I think we take sometimes, and I'm just trying to encourage parents, let's not take this aspect of their spiritual training lightly. And whatever God has for them, that's God's will. But we want to take it seriously. And God, you know what? I can tell you this for sure. That that little boy or girl that you're raising, I can tell you this with absolute certainty. God wants them to serve God with their life. Whether it's as a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a bus worker or whatever it may be, God does want that little boy and girl to serve Him with their life. And it's our responsibility to be teaching them these things. Let's go to... Another passage about Timothy, go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. And this is where Timothy is recommended to the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 16, this is the beginning of the second missionary journey, Paul's first missionary journey. He traveled with Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas had a difference of opinion about something. They parted ways, and and Barnabas um, went with Mark and began to travel, and Paul took Silas, and they began to travel. Verse 1 of chapter 16 of Acts. Then came he, Luke is writing, then came he, talking about Paul, to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus or Timotheus, Timothy as we see him in our epistle. There was a disciple there in the region of Derby and Lystra, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, a Jewish woman. We've already talked about his mother and his grandmother. And believed, his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek, a Gentile. Now I talk back to Timothy Verse 2, which, talking about Timothy, was well reported of by the brethren which were at Lystra and Iconium. Now you have these, this kind of a region up there. You've got Derby and Lystra and Iconium. These were places that Paul visited. But here's a young man that Paul is, had recommended to him this, this is a man that was, it says in verse 2, was well reported of by the brethren. He had a testimony among other churches. Timothy did. He was, a, he was just an outstanding believer. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple. And verse 3 says, him would Paul have to go forth with him. So this is, this is the beginning of Timothy traveling with the Apostle Paul. And I, I, I think it's good sometimes when you read a place like 1 Timothy to think about the background, think about the person, think about who Timothy was, think about what influenced his life. We don't have that for a lot of people, but we certainly have it for Timothy. And so let's go back to 1 Timothy if we could please. And I know we're bouncing around just a little bit, but 1 Timothy, another mention about his spiritual journey is found in chapter 4. Verse 
in verse 14, where Paul says something very specific and very direct to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. 1 Timothy 4, 14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, Timothy, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying laying on of the hands of the presbyter. Excuse me. And I believe that laying on of the hands of the presbytery, the presbytery is like the word elder. This was a group of spiritual leaders, elders, who were, we would call that ordained, who were laying hands on Timothy, setting him apart for the gospel ministry. And Paul says to Timothy, don't neglect the gift that is in thee. Which is, a, it's, a, it's a clear uh, statement that you know, it's possible for me or you or Timothy or anybody to neglect the gifts that God puts in us. He said, don't neglect the gift that's in you. God has gifted you to do what he wants you to do. But there's a promise in that. And that promise is that when God calls us to do something, he enables us to do it. He gives us the gifts to do it. I wonder how many people in, who name the name of Christ, how many people who are believers who don't really serve God with the giftedness that God's given them, they're really neglecting the gift that is in them. It's also a reminder that there's something more than a person's natural abilities that qualify them to serve the Lord. It's the work of God in their life. It's the hand of God. And God uses, all these things are packed into that. God uses people, other people, spiritual leaders, to recognize the call of God in a person's life. They recognize this Timothy, there's something unique about him. There's something unusual about him. He's a, he is really mature. He's a, he's a, he's a real uh, candidate to serve God. And they recommended him to Paul, and Paul let him travel with him. Which, which, what does that tell us as a church? It's important that we be discerning. About, what's, about the people and God puts in our church, about their spiritual giftedness, about, about how God might use them. And so, so let's go back, if we could, back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, back a page or two. And we see this, this letter, this epistle to Timothy, and specifically writing about the calling of a pastor, the calling of of a bishop, you know, to how God works in a person's life. And I want to take just a moment. And uh, for some people who are new, you've never heard some of this stuff, but I'm going to be very brief. But I just want to give a personal testimony about how God worked in my life because uh, God works in everybody's life in different ways. And first of all, you know, uh, God was working in my life. I didn't realize at the time. I was lost. And God was working in my life to prepare me, to bring me to a place where I'd be open to the gospel. And, I, you know, it's just amazing how God would do that. And, and when God began to work in my life, and I began to recognize that, and my wife and I began to go into church, and we were hearing the gospel, and, and I'm telling you, God, the word of God just slammed me. I mean, it just got so, I was so convicted. It was like, I would come to church like this, and in a congregation similar to this, and, and I know people, 
you may never feel this way, but I felt many times, often, like I was the only one there and the, and the preacher just had my number and he just had me nailed until finally, and it wasn't him, it was God. Until finally, I just totally surrendered my life to God. I said, God, I want your will. I want you to have your way in my life. And uh, everything about us changed. I mean, everything. And uh, I thank God for that. And we wanted, we wanted, we fell short many times, but we wanted God to be the center of everything in our life. 21 years old, one little girl in our home, Tracy. We just wanted God to be the center. I was a house painter. I wasn't a preacher. Had no desire to preach, no interest in preaching. And one, one Sunday morning, our pastor, Ralph Gossett, he preached a message from Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30 where God says, I saw it for a man among them that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge between me for the land that I might not destroy it and I found none. And in his way, with a, with a face red with fire and vessels bulging out of his neck, he said, God's looking for a man. God's looking, for, I was just a new Christian sitting over the side, kind of like where Jason's sitting on that side of the auditorium that day. And that wasn't where I normally sat. But God knew where I was sitting. I'm telling you, he nailed me. And on that day, I said, God, I just want to give you my life. I never dreamed I'd be a preacher. Never wanted to be a preacher. But I knew this, if God could use my life, I wanted God to use my life. And I gave him my life. And a lot of times over these years, I've questioned my usefulness. I've questioned a lot of things. But as far as I know, I never, ever wanted to take back that commitment. God, I want you to have my life. I want you to use my life. Well, sometime after that, um, a very important thing happened to me. And that was Mrs. Murray's sitting right, she's sitting right over here. Her husband came up to me. One, I think it was a Sunday night after church. And I was sitting more like this area where Jedediah's sitting that part. I can remember it, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Service was over. I'm standing there. He walks up to me and said, Hey, brother. <laughs> you always know something bad's about to happen when they do that. <laughs> hey, brother. I'd like for you to think about getting into bus ministry. And I said, you know, I'd like to think about that. And I, you say, what's so big a deal? That I got my first taste of ministering to people. Changed my life. You say, well, you're working on a bus route. It's not that big a deal. It was for me. It was for me. So I still didn't think I'd ever be a preacher. I'm just telling you how it worked. I, not, I never thought about it. Never entered my mind. I just, and, and so I was a bus worker. And then... And then he and his family, Brother Murray and them, were called to this church to be the pastor in 1976, 1977. And then Brother Murray asked me another time, Hey, brother, if I go up there, I want you to pray about going with me. And so my wife and I and Tracy, we, we moved up here. And I still, I, all, I want, all I wanted, and then I, I was a bus worker up here. We started a bus route. We started having buses, and I was a youth director. Our youth, we met in a little single wide trailer over there in that cemetery area over there. Never thinking I would ever be a pastor. And then I became more of an assistant pastor with 
pastoral type responsibilities and then Pastor Murray resigned to go into evangelism and God showed me and showed the church that I was supposed to be the pastor in 1981. And I say all that to say this, God works in people's lives. You don't have to know the end of the story to know what God wants you to do now. Be obedient where you are. And that starts with a mom and dad. It started with my mama and my great-grandmother and my grand... In investing in your children's life. You never know where that's going to end up. We don't want our kids to do what we want them to do. We want our kids to do what God wants them to do. And if we're going to raise children who have a heart, we're talking about serving the Lord. If we're going to raise children who have a heart to serve the Lord, then we need to start as young as we can. And we need to model that for them. This is what a servant serving God looks like. I said I wanted to come back to this verse 1 where it says, I'm in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. What does that mean? It means that a person comes to the place in their life that this is what I want more than anything. I want to serve God with my life. So I just want to close out today by thinking about this for all of us. Our desires matter. If all we want is just to have fun and fulfill our hobbies and live the American dream. If that's all we want, that's probably what's going to be ours. We ought to want more than that. You know, I was thinking about this verse where Paul wrote, I'm not going to turn to it, to the Corinthian church, and he said this. To, he said this, think about this. He said this to a church. Desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. You know what he said to every member of the church? You need to desire that God would gift you that you can serve Him with your life. That's what God says a church should desire. Not just to be the most popular, not just to be the most fun, not just to make the most money. Desire that God would enable you to serve Him with your life. We ought to desire for God to use. I was so encouraged by Lisa's testimony today. She said, for a year I've been praying and wanting to see somebody saved. Well, that, that's the kind of stuff we ought to want. That's what we ought to desire. Not just the pastors, but all of us. We want God to work and use us. You know why some people show no interest in serving the Lord or growing in the Lord? They don't have any desire for it. They don't care. Why would God's not going to call somebody in the gospel ministry who has no desire to serve the Lord? He's not going to do it. You say, well, one of these days maybe Junior will become a preacher. No, he's not even going to want to be a preacher if he doesn't develop a desire to serve God with his life. There's a great promise in Proverbs that says, delight thyself. Think about this. Delight thyself also in the Lord, 
and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Isn't that great? You just say, does that mean God's going to just give me whatever I want? You make him your delight. You make him your delight, and you know what's going to happen? You're going to want what he wants. Who would have ever thought it? Who would have ever thunk it that I'd ever be a preacher? Farthest thing from my mind, but you know what happened? God put it in my heart. You know why? Because if God is your desire, if your desire is just Him, then He'll work in your heart to where you'll want what's best for you and what's best for Him. The desires matter. God works in our desires if we're willing to let Him. I mentioned this verse just the other day. I've mentioned it a lot in my life. One of my favorite verses, Philippians chapter 2. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You let God have all of your life, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to be working in you, helping you know what he wants you to do. You know what we do sometimes? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, it comes natural. I have to try. No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. You know what we need to do? We need to just give it all to God and say, God, I just want to do what you want me to do. Amen. You may be here today and you're not saved. More than likely, there are people here that aren't saved. If you're thinking that somehow God is just going to body slam you, and make you want to be saved, you're mistaken. He's not going to do that. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to give you moments just like this where you think about it and you know, I need the Lord in my life. I don't think I really know him. And your responsibility is to seize those moments, capture those moments and say, God, I want, I'm telling you, if God ever nudged my heart in some way and says, I want you to do this, I'd want to do it. Many years ago, standing over there in that church in a missions conference, I, I cried like a baby and I said, if God would let me go to the mission field, I'd go. I want to do whatever God wants me to do. That ought to be the heart of every person here tonight, today, every young person, every adult. And if you're not saved, you ought to come to Christ today. You ought to put your faith in Him. If you, and if you're sitting here and you could be honest enough and sincere enough to say to yourself, you know, I don't, really, I don't really care about serving God, then you ought to be begging God, change my heart. Change my heart. I want to serve you with my life. If I'd had a thousand lives to live, I'd want to live every one of them serving God with my life. It's the best life there is. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. With our heads bowed today, with our eyes closed, whoever you are, wherever you're from, young or old, what is it you want to do with your life? We heard it this morning in Sunday school. None of us are so old that we, we just retire from serving the Lord. No, none of us. The fact that we're here living, breathing means God's not finished with us. Would you be willing to say like I did many years ago,
God, I only have one life to live, and I want to give it to you. It's been a long time. I'm glad I made that decision. I'm not the only one. Many people here have made that decision. But maybe you never have. Young person, maybe you never have. You've never really said, God, I want to give you my life. Would you do that today? I challenge you. Our Father, today we thank you for your word and we thank you for the way you work in people's lives like you worked in Timothy's life. God, thank you for your might, your power, your wisdom, your ability to take that little boy and use his mother and grandmother to teach him the scriptures. Kept him growing. Lord, what a blessing to become such a such a leader. And Father, as we pray today, we want to influence others to lead and serve you. Would you help parents here today? First of all, help us to want to train our boys and girls to love the Lord and to know the Bible. God, help us. Help us to make it a priority. Help it to be the most important thing about our family is that we're going to serve the Lord with our life. God, for people in this room, maybe you're calling them to some special place of service. I pray you'd work in their heart and life. Father, I pray for those here today who aren't saved. Their lives are not surrendered to you. I pray that today the Spirit of God would work. The Word of God would work. While our heads are bowed.